What are you listening to? You don't know that the guy's just put I know that. No, this is one that I know. Tom Brady's bordering now on Godlike. You gotta put the bourbon down and go to a doctor. He's... All right, listen up, y'all. Because I'm excited about it. It was awesome. Wait to hear it. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Bump and Run. I'm Pete Colisano, joined, as always, by my friend Scott Bracey for the first time live on Facebook and on YouTube. What's going on, dude? Good evening, sir. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, whoever is joining us. And if you are on social media, on Facebook or YouTube, I think you can actually uh, chat with us. Maybe. I don't know if I'll answer or not, but you can send us a message through Facebook. It might come through our Restream <laughs> feed. We'll see. it would be a nice test to see if anybody is. You just asked me about our baseball team. So we had a big game last Saturday against a second-place team. And they ended up beating us because we were short on pitchers. Two of my best pitchers are on travel ball, so they couldn't pitch. And I'm throwing out not our best pitchers. Knuckleballers. Let's just, let's just say not our best pitchers, okay? Knuckers. <laughs> and, well, frankly, they didn't either. And it was kind of a walk fest. And just to, so you know, there's like an hour and 45-minute time limit on these games. We yeah. made it through three and a half innings. like, And the time limit oh. was up. Yeah. So, Alrighty. It wasn't, it wasn't good. Yeah, it wasn't good. We ended up losing. But more importantly, this past Monday, we played a team that um, beat us two days in a row a couple weeks ago. We were, again, short on a couple players. They played us back-to-back -back on a Friday and Saturday, beat us both times. Once they hammered us, once they beat us by one. And I have to tell you, for nine- and ten-year-olds, this might have been, like, the best baseball game I've ever seen in my life. Final score, 4-3. Full, six full innings, like six full innings all the way to the bottom of the sixth. So we get nice. out to a two nothing lead right off the jump. Like we, they got a, we both had our best pitchers on the mat, and both kids just were actually fantastic. We get up, we, awesome. we just hit the ball top of the order, comes up clutch, gets a bunch of hits. We score two runs. Of course, we die with a man on third, but that's the way it goes. Um, so we're up two nothing, and it's two nothing through three innings. Like at that point, nobody scores. My pitcher's just mowing them down. Their pitcher's mowing us down. And it's just, do we finish three innings in like a half an hour? It was insane. So top of, I'm sorry, bottom of the fourth, uh, they get three runs. Couple errors on our, couple hits, a couple hits back. <laughs> My pitcher hit a couple kids. And then a oh. nice little hit. They scored three runs. So now they're up 3-2. Bottom of the, bottom of the fourth. Fourth? Yeah. So we get up top of the fifth, Stugats. We get nothing, no runs, right? It's just, we, it was the middle to bottom of our order. One, two, three, yeah. done. Very stale. Over. And uh, we have my, my, my second best pitcher comes in, and he has, it's kind of the bottom of their order, and he has a really good inning, no runs. So we get to the top of the sixth, and we're starting off with our, la our, our last hitter, our number 11 hitter. And he's not the most aggressive at the plate. If, if you understand what I'm saying. He really doesn't. I, I do. He's reluctant to swing. And yep. first or second pitch, he gets hit by a pitch. And it's like, ooh, you okay? Like, yes. Like, <laughs> all right. He got hit. He's on base. Nine news bears. Rudy Stein. <laughs> it, was, it was like, yes, he'll be okay. Get him ice. Get him a cast. Get him whatever he needs. Just get somebody to first base. So, uh, so then the top of our order comes up. And uh, we get a couple timely hits. Bing, bing, bing. We, we score two. 
and we have we're, we got two wow. two outs, runner on third, and passed ball, and a kid tries to get home, but the ball just came off the fence, nice for the catcher, and they get him yeah. out of the plate. And I was like, oh, so we're only up four three going into the bottom of the sixth, and they have their two three four hitters coming up. So, and this is where it gets cool. It gets cool from my perspective as a coach, and I'll explain. So, their number two hitter gets an out. I think he, I think he strikes him out. We strike him out. Number three hitter is a just a just, he's a beast. He gets up and just laser shots one to left field, like a line drive, low line drive, gets right between second and third, but it's a rocket. Our left fielder gets right in front of it, fields it perfectly. Throws it to the cutoff, shortstop turns, throws it to second base, runner stalled at first. Nice, nice. Like, and and why it's so it was so cool for me is because we work on cutoffs all the time. Because yeah, at that yeah. age, especially, it's like the ball yeah. can go flying anywhere. So Absolutely. every practice we work on cutoffs. Like we're getting it to I don't care who's on base, where they are, get it to second base. Ball's so into the outfield, get it to second. Yeah. So he just yeah. picked this thing and we talk about it all the time and we stalled this kid at first right and he got a single instead of a double here's why it's huge runner on first one out now in our league because of their age and ability you can only steal once per batter so like if you steal uh, second you can't steal again the not for yeah. us at the inning just for us at that batter oh so we can't go anywhere so you can't just keep bing 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 because yeah, the yeah, catchers yeah. aren't aren't ready for that so it's Absolutely. actually a very good rule it's a smart rule. But here's why it's huge. Runner on first, one out. Next pitch, he steals second. Okay? we My pitcher strikes that kid out. Two outs. Next wow. Next pitch, he steals third. So now there's a runner on third with two outs. But he can't go anywhere. Couple so even if it's a pass ball, he he's stuck there. Yeah, he already stole, so pass ball, you can't go. Right. That's considered a steal. So that's, that's it. Yeah, yep. Yeah. We strike that kid out to end the game. Player gets stalled on third. And why that's, that's huge great. is because if he if he would have gotten a double, he would have stole third with one out, and then he could have stole home with two outs and at, at the very least tied the game up. Yeah, so I pointed yeah. that out to the kids after. You. Like, yeah. how we talk about this all the time, hit the cutoff, get it to second. It was a perfect play, and look what happens. I go. These little things are how we win games, and we ended up winning four three. And it was it was so cool. It was just so cool. So as a coach, that makes you so happy and satisfied because a prime example. This is why we do this. Yes. That exact reason. And I pointed that out. And it makes the kids the understand that. I pointed yeah. that out after the game. I said Ethan did it without hesitation. He fielded it cleanly. He didn't have to think about it. He just rose up, threw it to the cutoff, shortstop turn, threw it to second. Player was stopped at first. He ended up with a single. So we look at that and we say, ah, what's the big deal? What's the big deal is he would have scored if he didn't do that. Or could have scored if he didn't do that. Yep. And uh, they saw the importance of it. And it was just awesome. So So we're, we're, at the very least, we're tied for first. We have one more game tomorrow night, Thursday, because we're taping on um, uh, Wednesday here. We have a game tomorrow night. Um, I'm going to say we should win because we're playing the last place team. You don't count it as a win, of course, but we should win. Um, and if we do, I think we're first place, and I think we get a bye, which is nice also. Well, that, that the win on Saturday or Sunday, whenever it was, is big too, because you finally get the monkey off your back with that team. Yes, yeah. So you know, so that also helps. So it was, um, it was very cool. Uh, we're looking good. Like I said, we have given up by far the least runs in the league, but we've also scored the second least. 
So we yeah. pitch, we play defense, and we get some timely hits and runs, and, and we got to rely on that. But if we do that, we're pretty solid. So it's a important question. Did you buy the kids snow cones or chip witches or something? No, I said get game? out of here. I'll see you next week. Uh, what a horrible I'm coach. A cheap, I'm a cheap. I'll, come on, I'm a teacher. God. I ain't got that kind of salary. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a ton what of snow cones now. Six dollars a piece. And it seems like that, dude. It seems like every you got to take out a small loan just to get a couple beers at Yankee Stadium. So, um, so we have a ton actually to get to. Uh, we got PGA Championship with Phil, of course. Uh, NBA playoffs are actually like kind of interesting, but I have some fascinating. Uh, I have some fascinating ratings to show you that shows you kind of how far things have gone in the sports world and what matters most. It's not just sports that matters, and I'll explain that. Uh, Jacksonville, in some weird twist of, you know, I don't know, electronic fate, we'll say, somehow released the ratings on a number of players that they did not draft, many of which were drafted by the Jets. So we'll talk about that. Of course, we have our AFC East analysis of what we what we see coming uh, for this coming season, and something that I think both of us are excited about. We've been looking forward to for a little over a week now. Josh Hennig of ESPN Radio South Jersey will be joining us at 7:30, and we're going to talk some Philly sports with him. Maybe some UFC. Maybe some other. I have a question about the draft. Something that's going on in the NFL that. I think all sports fans are looking at and saying, "What? Where is this going to go?" And we've talked about it previously, and I'll and I'll I'll get to that with you. So we have a number of things to talk about. Oh, and we're going to talk UFC with him as well. Um, and I'm actually. God bless oh. you. Did it come I out? Myself. I didn't hear anything. Oh man, I didn't, no. I didn't hear no. Well, kind of. God bless you. Um, but we're going to start. We're going to start with this past Sunday's PGA Championship. And if you'll allow me to, I wanted to. Kind of point out a couple things. In all golf majors, it seems like there are always two stars. Uh, the tournament starts on Thursday, and the first star that immediately arrives whenever you turn on that first day is the course. We all look at the Masters, Augusta National. You can look at uh, this course this past Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach. We love to see the old courses in England oh and Scotland. That first day of a major is almost inevitably about the course and how yep. difficult it is, how gorgeous it is, um, how things are set up. This course uh, was so interesting because there was sand everywhere, but they didn't consider it consider them sand traps. Like the players in a very unusual setup, players were allowed to ground their clubs, um, take practice swings in this. These, they called them sandy areas, and it was yeah, a little two strange. Two things about that. It was, you know what? That's a good point you brought that up. Practicing swinging in the sand, and then they could use range finders on this course. Yes. Too. Well, this is new. Which period. Thought, They're allowed to do this yeah, all the time to speed like, up play. They're doing I, that to speed up. I was play. shocked. Yeah, because some of these guys are just brutal. So that's your first star in every major tournament, um, whether it's the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, PGA Championship, or the Masters. The course on Thursday is the is the big star, and we as fans hope. That by Friday at some point, or at the very least Saturday, another star arises, and that ends up being one of the players. This year was a little strange for the Masters. I don't know that we ever had that one star that wasn't the course. Of course, we had the winner, but I don't know that any single player was the star like a Jordan Spieth or a Tiger Woods in previous Masters. But by Friday afternoon of this PGA Championship, there was a clear star, 
and that was Phil Mickelson. And I find it fascinating um, how much, as fans, we love watching old champions rise again. It is utterly fascinating to me, and, and I am part of that kind of uh, segment of society that loves to see it happen. A couple years ago, when Tiger was going for the Masters, I couldn't take my eyes off it. And I'm not a Tiger guy. I'm one of the, you know, I always look at Tiger as like as the Yankees. Like you either love him or you love hating him. And I kind of right. loved hating Tiger because he just was always winning. And it's like, somebody please challenge this guy. But on that day, I wanted Tiger to win because he's older. It's kind of a comeback. It was said Story. to be impossible. And here he was pulling off the impossible. So it's like it raises this question. What is it about like older players when they're making another run at it, that we just love. Uh, I'm a Jets fan, and I've watched Tom Brady just massacre my team for 20 years. But yet, as I look back at Super Bowls, I wasn't ever really rooting, especially more recent Super Bowls, I find myself rooting for him. Mm. And I can't help but think it's because we're all kind of amazed at what's going on at the impossible. And when we see these kind of older stars that are past their time doing the impossible or doing what's been told they can't do, I don't know, maybe it raises a little something in us that says maybe I can do something a little special also. It's also the familiar, like I've seen this before, I want to see it again. Um, it's romantic, right? It's like, if this can't happen, he's too old, we've been told. You know, he's been yeah. he's been he's come in second more times than anybody in majors other than Jack Nicholas. Um, you well, know, it's funny you say that about about feeling human or feeling that you could do something. Because my brother texted me late Sunday and it was like, "How old is he? 50, 51? And I'm like, "Yeah." He's old. like, "Oh, I because I still have a shot." Exactly. So it's like, and that's what it, <laughs> right. And we've seen it before. We saw it with Nolan Ryan when he would throw a no hitter in his in his forties which was unbelievable, still throwing that kind of gas. We, yeah, I mentioned yeah. Tom uh, Tom Brady. We we loved it when we saw Derek Jeter get game-winning hits in his last season or a, a final playoff games. Right. Like, you know, we saw it with Kobe um, in his last game scoring 60. We love that kind of stuff. It's like um, – it, it's like almost like a warm blanket that we can kind of wrap ourselves in. It's like, oh, it's the way – it's what I remember yeah. and it's the way it's supposed to be. Even though we know it can't go on forever, uh, for a moment, I get to kind of feel what yeah. I always loved so much. A nice, a nice flashback. And it a reminds nice us – yeah. yeah, it reminds us of something good. Yes, it reminds us of something good. And this one might have been even bigger besides the fact that he's 50, which makes me feel fantastic as someone who's rolling in on 80. Uh, on 48, on 48, not 80. I feel like Jesus 80 sometimes. God. I feel like 80. Um, it may have been even bigger than that because I actually felt afterwards we may that may have been the close of the pandemic. Because for the first time, not only did we have fans there, that wasn't first. What we had were a mass of people when you saw the 18th hole as they're walking up to the green, people climbing over each other to take videos, to take pictures, to get to touch them, to feel them, to get near them. Nobody cared about a pandemic. Nobody cared nope. about COVID. And nobody talked about it either. Nobody on television was like, oh, these people are too close to each other. Not Everyone enough, enough. from the players 
to the announcers, to the fans, to us watching at home. We just got to enjoy it. So you may very well be able to point to this particular tournament, this particular match, and say that right yeah. there was the end of COVID. I thought Brooks got swallowed up in there for a while. It took him a while to get, get through there. They were clearly unprepared <laughs> for that. They were clear. Ooh, I don't think, yes, yeah, well, especially yes, when you were, consider, absolutely. I think they only let in 30, 40, 50% capacity. So I don't think, plus, in the beginning of the week, you're not thinking, hey, when Phil at 50 is winning this tournament at the end, we better have right. some kind of security right. ready. Right. So I'll give you one more thing about this, and then, and then we, can, we can go back and forth about this. Um, the NBA playoffs, uh, and their ratings are, are down, but the average NBA playoff game last two years, 3 million people watch. The, we talked about the play-in tournament, the one between the, the Lakers and the Warriors the other night. Yeah. That had 6 million. That one game was the highest rated NBA playoff game in like four years because it was do or die, right? Yeah, yeah. Sunday, PGA Championship, 13.1 million viewers. Holy smokes. Okay, so the biggest, biggest professional basketball game in the last four years got swallowed up, got more than doubled, got more than doubled by Phil at the PGA Championship. Even when Tiger is in a tournament, in a major, you get about eight. When Tiger's in the hunt of a major tournament, it could be 10, 11, 12. And this one was 13. And, I, and while we love Phil and we like watching you know, him do his thing because he can blow up just as quickly as he can oh, do well. And he almost did. It's the age. It's the fact that he's, he made history um, that... that that had us all glued. And it was really something. I didn't miss a shot. I didn't miss a single shot other than to refill my drink. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, it was really yeah. awesome. And I, it was, uh, I'm glad he did it. I'm glad he did it. It was really cool. No, it was, it was, it was great. And, uh, you know, I think I texted you Friday afternoon and I said, Phil's in the clubhouse with a lead or time for the lead. And we're like, oh, let's see if you can, you know, Saturday's moving day, usually everywhere on a golf course. And he did his best job to to give it back. I think he was up five strokes or four strokes for a long time Saturday, and then the back nine, he kind of plummeted. And I think he was only up one to start the day Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it was fascinating because he doubled everybody up. Like, he had he was eight under, and then the next closest was yeah. four. And then he he gave that and away. He, and he does, he does what Phil does. And then he did it. Coaster, yeah, right. he went double bogey bogey back-to-back holes on Saturday, oh and then he kind of did yeah. it again on Sunday. He was at 10, or maybe this was Saturday, but it was like 8-4 and four on one day, 10-5 and five the other day, and you're like, it's over. And then back-to-back holes, he goes bogey, double bogey, and you're like, what the hell? Like, and that was going on. Well, Brooks, Brooks was hitting the ball all over the place, too. I thought he was going to kill somebody at some point. He, he couldn't he couldn't hit the ball straight for like four or five straight holes. It was crazy. And then he's kind of still in it at the end. because Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, we're, you know, Phil was up two and going into the 18th, and everybody's like starting to celebrate. And I'm like, bro. That's Phil yeah. Nicholson, and that's Brooks <laughs> Kepka. Like, that guy yeah. absolutely can birdie this hole, and that guy absolutely can, like, double bogey this hole. What are we yeah, – like, sure. like, can we not start celebrating right now? At the very least, you know, Brooks could have parred and, and Phil could have bogeyed. Like, sure, absolutely. You know, at the very least, that could – very and it would have been a tie. So it could have been that. But uh, it was just incredible. It was incredible to see the gallery just – you know, the fans just coming up. I started immediately thinking Arnie's Army. Like, if you ever watch some old video yep. of Arnold Palmer coming up, like, the 18th, I don't know, maybe at the Masters or something, 
Um, that's where the whole Arnie's Army idea came from, where there's they're just following him and he's just high-fiving people and enjoying it. And Phil, to his credit, and this is where Brooks Koepka, I love him as a player. And frankly, his attitude as a player or while he's playing, I love it. He don't give a shit about anybody or like he's not trying to please anybody. He don't care. And I love it. Right. Um, but he could use a little help in this area when it comes to the fans. Uh, embrace it a little, dude. Like, nobody was trying to actually take your knee out. Okay, slow down, because nobody doesn't like you. Like, yeah, he can learn a little bit from Phil, and Phil just ate it up. I mean, you know, Phil Phil's had back issues in the past. Well, he probably had thumb issues from, like, how many thumbs up he was <laughs> given over the last, like, you know, five, six holes. It was incredible. So... You know, one thing I love what they did to the PGA was moving from August to May. I think that was a brilliant idea because in August, everyone's got shit going on. You're kind of, you know, your baseball or football's coming up, preseason game, whatever. Well, that's it is. really but why the they PGA, did it. The PGA gets lost in August. Well, what I think happened? It was a great idea. I agree with you. What happened was, you know, football got, NFL got so big. Yeah. And when they came up with the idea of the FedEx Cup and like the little three week tournament at the end of the golf season, it was in mm-hmm. September every year. And it's like, nobody's watching. Your biggest yeah. kind of three-week stretch of the year, nobody's watching because they're watching the NFL. So what they did is they moved that back into August, and they took the PGA Championship, moved it up, That's which is also right. smart, like you said, because now they basically do a, a major tournament once a month, for yep. more or less once a month for four straight months. And then it leads up into the playoff. And it yeah. leads up into the playoff, right. and you're not interfering. You're not getting involved with the NFL. You're letting them, you know, have their time. Yeah. Now, Ryder yeah, Cup, President's the- Cup will be during that time because that's a fall kind of thing. But it was yeah. it's a brilliant move. Um, again, and I still think, you know, it is fascinating. I'll say this first. It is fascinating, you know, the ratings jump you get with a Phil or a Tiger that you don't get right now with other guys. But those other guys are young, and I don't know that we got those numbers when Phil was young. Maybe we did when Tiger was young, but not when Phil was young. Phil wasn't Phil then. What's interesting is these guys become these names. Like, Tom Brady wasn't Tom Brady that first year. We weren't watching for Tom Brady. Now we watch for Tom Brady because he's got seven (laughs) champions. You know what I mean? Like, you you can't compare, like, a Rory McIlroy's championship or a Jordan Spieth's championship to a Phil winning at 50. Because he's already Phil, no. it's fifty. Yeah. It's it's you can't compare it. Tell, yeah. Show me Jordan Spieth winning the Masters when he's fifty, and I'll show you fifteen million people watching. Sure. Like I guarantee it. You know. So now, when Tom Watson was in the final group of of the Open Championship a few years back, the ratings were bananas. And he's he's an American. He's not even a European. But why? Because he's older, and people are like, can this guy pull this off at fifty four or whatever the hell he was at <laughs> yeah. the time? Like, yeah, he might have been older. Can he than do that, it? Yeah, yeah he might have been fifty seven. Like, you know, let you can't compare because you're you're not that guy yet. You're not filled with five championships, forty something wins, fifteen second place finishes in majors, like whatever those numbers actually are. So now, did you hear, did you hear the fun fact? You know, two weeks ago when we did our favorite movies. You had Legend of Bagger Vance. Oh, I know. I thought. They, they, dude, what's the name of the course? They filmed that there. What's the name of the course? The Ocean Course. At Ohio, 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 or something. Yeah, it's a free. I heard him yeah. say it. I'm like, oh my god! Yeah. And now I yeah. can see like Will Smith walking know, off into the dude, sunset. Too. It's so funny you mentioned that. that. <laughs> I was like, I was like, no shit. Okay, now I really like this course. Like, <laughs> and I really like the movie because I did yeah. it. I did like the course. I did like the course. You know. 
I mentioned in the beginning that the co- the course is the star on Thursday, and I I enjoyed this because, and I think I think PGA needs to do a better job of this. It can't just be for the big bangers. There's a way to um, to reward somebody for hitting it in the fairway, not just hitting it 700 miles. And I think that this course is a perfect example of if you're you could be long and a little off, but if you're long and a lot off, you get penalized yeah, big you're, time. You're in trouble. Okay, so you know there's ways, yeah. and this tournament just showed that it doesn't just have to be for the guys who hit it a million miles. You can, whether it's making thicker rough or making obstacles or the way you set up the green if it's a little more crowned, whatever the different ways are, penalizing for missing, like. There's ways to, to do that. And I like seeing that. I want to see the best players in the world have to play really good golf. And I, yes. I thought this course was infinitely fair. Like, we've seen U.S. Opens where it's like, dude, come on. Like, a, a computer yeah, know, couldn't tell you exactly where to put that ball, and it would still stay on the green. Like, it's just not fair. <laughs> this was very difficult. Listen, he won at what, six under? Six under. Six under, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> like, to me, like, somewhere between six and ten, five and ten under, if you're in there, and that's your winner. That was a real test. Like that was yeah, a real test. That's like that's two under golf, a day. Not Dominic golf. Yes, right? it's, it's 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 enjoyable. You're not just throwing they darts. Look human. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You have to make yes. good shots, but there are gettable Ooh. holes and. That seventeenth hole what was it two twenty three over water, bro. Oh that part three, holy fuck, man! But these guys hit these long part threes like they don't give a shit. Me they and you were like, what even... am I? I don't even have that club. I'm just gonna take the drop over there and hit three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ah, oh, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. You have a golf ball or two. Yeah, so I, I just I tell, and and again those those ratings, you know the NBA has their own problems. You know, <laughs> uh, LeBron James might be the first mega star in NBA history that has lower ratings as he leaves the sport than he did when he came into the sport. Like you think about yeah, like when point. Michael Jordan really was in his prime, and then when Michael Jordan retired. 50% of the ratings dropped out. Like, they literally lost 50% of their ratings, and there was nothing they could do about it. When Larry Johnson is, like, your big star, you're in trouble. When Larry Bird <laughs> when Larry Bird and, and Magic were kind of weaning off and, and, and Michael wasn't the man yet, they had there were struggles. If you look before Larry and Michael, the, the league was, like, in trouble. They almost went bankrupt. Yeah. And then, La- yeah. you know, La- Larry and, um, I mean, Larry and Magic, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson come in the league, and it's the biggest, and, and, and the ratings double, triple, and and it just everything changes. LeBron James is going to be first megastar of that caliber, of that level, level of your Michael Jordan, Kobe's, Shaq, Larry and and uh, Magic. Like he's going to be the first one to come in. He's going to have lower ratings than when when he was in his prime, which is is, pa- is pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic, okay. and it's totally earned and and totally mm-hmm. self inflicted. You brought this yep. on yourself. Between Absolutely. between your bullshit political views, and I'm not even talking about whether or not he's right or wrong. I'm just saying the fact that you're bringing politics into the sport that people don't yep. people want to get away from that shit. They don't want to watch. They don't want to talk about that when they're watching sports. Between that and now this new like flipping, flopping, dropping. I'm always hurt. I saw three. I shot the one in Every the middle. Game. Oh, I know. Like, now he's like stealing lines from movies and stuff like that. It's like, dude, it's getting embarrassing. He points at Steph. Oh, I, I can't see. Like Steph gives a shit. Like what? Like dude, he's just such stop. a dude. He's he's become uh. he's become like so annoying. And uh, again, he'll be the first star in like NBA recent history that'll have that'll have lowered its ratings before he left the sport. Like incredible. 
He just steps on his tongue all the time. When they're playing Steph in that playing game, he's the MVP of the league. Then they're going to the Suns. Oh, Chris Paul's the MVP of the league. LeBron, you, you can't have multiple yeah, everybody's MVPs the MVP. Because you, you also know you think you're the MVP. I was just going to say, who's he always no, lobbying no, for for the actual oh, MVP? Oh, my God. I, I, I can't wait until. I love when a guy gone. says, if it was up to myself, I would vote for myself. Like, okay, where did did you read that in a book somewhere? Yeah, Wordsworth? Anyway, not to bash on um, <laughs> LeBron. Uh, interesting. Bash all you want, my in, friend. Yeah, I know. He's earned it. Interesting scenario happened. Not a big deal. I don't. I don't think this was as big a deal as some people made it out to be. Because I mean, if the numbers were if the numbers were more twisted, then I guess it would have been a little more of a curious situation. But somehow, in some press release or whatever, whatever, Jacksonville let out the ratings on some of the players that they did not actually draft. So, um, and, and a number of these were Jets. Now, the ratings actually, like, were good. The, the, it was a rating system that they had for the players. It wasn't just Jets players, but it, it was a number of Jets yeah. that came out. And I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, ooh, this could be really juicy. But then you look, and you're like, oh, well, yeah. So, And I think, I think if you're Joe Douglas in the Jets, you're like, eh, it's okay. It doesn't bother me. because So they had a rating on Zach Wilson as a it, – um, their rating system goes from, like, 1 to 8, and 8 being, like, an all-time great. A seven yeah. being like uh, a perennial a pro bowl player, pro bowler yeah. starter. Six is like a, a regular starter and working your way down. And when you look at who the Jets drafted, they took Zach Wilson. Uh, the Jags had him rated as a seven, meaning a, a pro bowler. Now they had Trevor Lawrence as an eight, you know, per, you know, Hall of Famer, you know, per, perennial All Pro. But is, does that really surprise anybody? Like, does that surprise no. you? No. I think nope. I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know if any of the other quarterbacks were on the list. I didn't see the quarterbacks. I saw the I saw the guard you guys took was on the list. Yeah, and they had him. Excuse me. High like a six seven or something like that. I'm, yeah, as a a, a a perennial starter, and they had dude, him rated as the highest. Did I just burn some? Smoke that thing. Smoke <laughs> that thing, man. You keep having to light it up, like. It's going out on me sometimes. It happens. What do you got? What do you, you got? Do? What, do you what, do? You got? What, do you, what do you What do you smoking? Uh, it's a It's a Drew Estates factory smoke. It's one of my favorites. It's, oh, you, it's love, little, you love the Drew Estates, yeah. I do. I'm a big fan. But their factory smokes are a little less expensive, and gotcha. um, and I can smoke them more often and not feel so bad um, about smoking, the next day about taking food out of my children's mouths. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, especially if they want a snow cone, Christ. <laughs> no, we got ice at home. <laughs> Put some strawberry syrup on it. Put some food coloring on it and shut up. <laughs> My kids don't even <laughs> ask anymore. They're like, Daddy, can we? No. Can we go home? Yes, that we could do. So uh, cruel. <laughs> such a hard father. <laughs> My father gave me everything, too, and here I am. No. Every word out. I know. Your father's the nicest guy on the planet. Hey, you're, 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 you're Scrooge. I'm horrible. I'm just a bad person. Anyway, um, Elijah Moore was somebody else that came out and they had him like a yeah. 7.2 yes and he ends you know that he falls to the jets and the jets get him you know uh second round I, I still think a second round steal you know i, I mentioned to you I, I didn't necessarily have him uh as someone the jets needed but we talked about him in our pre one of our pre-draft shows as someone to keep an eye on and i just look and i say mm, 
you know, we're on par with Urban Meyer and his crew as far as how we rate our players, right? I mean, come on, that's got to say something, don't you think? No, it's 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 definitely a nice a nice pat on the back, but we don't know Urban Meyer in the NFL yet either. So that's a good point. Let's calm down. Well, he's had some curi- he's done some curious things already, wouldn't you say? He, that, that he has <laughs> some yes. some a couple of things that we might be like, well, I don't know if I want to be compared no. to Urban Meyer just yet. Yeah, <laughs> hiring what you know, could be allegedly is a racist ish kind of, uh, strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning coach, uh, hiring, you know, signing Tim Tebow, which, sorry, I got Ash. I'm having a hard time here. Signing Tim yeah. Tebow. Well, nepotiz. I don't know. Dave taking Travis Etienne. They thought that was a question mark there. Well, Put him a wide receiver. I was just going to say, you like, could take Travis Etienne, but then when you get to practice, he's yeah. your wide receiver. Like, yeah. All right, Urban. Like, what do you. I don't know. Maybe he's not feeling good again. Maybe we've been picking on the wrong coaches. Like, at least, uh, who, who's the coach uh, at Detroit, that lunatic? The Lions. Oh, uh, Dan Campbell. Dan Dude, Campbell. He, I saw, at I least saw he's got guys in their on. natural positions, right? Like, he's not. <laughs> He's not telling a guard like, "Hey man, we're gonna make you play tackle uh, yeah, or, or tight end. You want to play tight end? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you look like dude. You he had a shirt on end. today, knee knee biter or something like that at practice. Like, dude, he's he's all in, man. I'll tell you that. You much. know, the funny thing about him is, uh, I could give two shits about the Detroit Lions, of course. Like, who cares? Yeah. yeah but I'm kind of rooting for him just to shove it up like everyone's ass. Everyone's sure. like, oh, "This guy's an idiot. He can't coach. Like, why did I hire him?" Yeah, this is in 1976. You can't co-check that anymore. Well, let's see. Listen, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. You know what? The funny thing is, I think Bill Belichick has shown you can coach like that if those are the type of players that you bring in. Right. You know, could Aaron Rodgers play for Bill Belichick? Oh, I'm going to say no. Oh, yeah, I'm going to like say Like you're no. a freaking oh, yeah. baby, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know that Aaron Rodgers could play for a, a number of coaches that are in the NFL right now. Now, I know those coaches will all tell you they could, they could coach Aaron Rodgers, but but, you know, I don't know that that's true. So it came out um, – what a nice segue here. It came out, what, today, yesterday. Green Bay had their the start of their OTAs, which are like optional practices. And um, although you get paid if you go to, I don't know, 70% of them. If you show up for 70% of them, you do get paid for that. Yeah, like, like 500000 or yeah, something. Is that something too much like money that. or Dep- something? Maybe like, yeah. I don't know if it depends on your actual salary or not. But probably, yeah, that's a good question. I don't and know. it was like, well, okay, so Aaron Rodgers not going to show up. You know, we kind of expected that. But what was not expected was five of his kind of, we'll say, weapons, wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, they did not show up also. Now, I don't think anything was said, but it does seem like a little sign of solidarity. Would you say that? Well, for Aaron's corner, you mean? Yeah. Well, it ain't for whatever it well, is. Well, I, 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 I would be pissed if I was the Packers coaching staff because if Aaron, if they do end up trading Aaron or whatever they're going to do, you want to have some camaraderie with, with love or whatever's going on with these guys there. I, I know it's only OTAs, and it, it, it is off-season like, voluntary. I get it. But everything everything helps. Every little bit helps. Yeah, I even look at it even differently. Like I look and I say, you know, Again, we don't even really know because Aaron Rodgers has never actually used his own words to say what his beef is. Like even when he talked the other night on ESPN, it was oh, like I was gonna bring that culture, up. What a joke, environment. These are people. But what are you talking about? Like what are you, what's your what's your beef? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. so without really knowing what his problem is, 
if you're one of those guys who just sat out, like, quote-unquote, in solidarity for Aaron Rodgers, he's talking about you when he says, I don't have any weapons. He's talking about you. He doesn't consider you enough. Doesn't that right. bother you a little bit? And then the other side of that is, let's say Aaron does get traded or he does retire. Like, if let's say Green Bay holds their ground and he retires. You're stuck without him. Are you going to retire? Are you going to be happy with Jordan Love as your starter? Are you going to be happy winning eight, nine, ten games? Uh, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, are you guys going to be okay with that? Like, you're standing in solidarity right now with the guy who's going to cost you a potential Super Bowl season. Yeah. Like, and, and if, but and the other side of it is if you don't, are you pissing in, off the breadwinner? And for you out with the trash. Unless he had some kind of conversation with these guys and said, listen, it's, I mean, he can't talk about that way about Jones and Adams, but the other guys, definitely. But he doesn't talk at you know, all. Like, this is the problem. Well, so I'm, if you're I'm a player, behind closed doors, because you know there's got to be talking behind closed doors. I don't know that. I would, I would imagine so. I would hope so, and I would think so, but I don't know that. Again, yeah, I don't, we, we don't, don't even – everybody, we got all these people. We got ESPN. We got Fox Sports. We got all these guys, no matter where you listen, they're all talking about, oh, this is what Aaron wants, and this is what he's fisted about. You don't know that because you haven't heard shit from the actual man. You right. heard these weird cryptic you know, vibes of like, oh, it's about culture. It's about people. It's about, you know, this – well, what do you mean? What What's your problem? What are you upset about? Because he even said – in that ESPN thing, like, it ain't about Jordan Love. He likes Jordan Love. Well, then yeah. what is it, dude? Because it <laughs> seems to me you went to the NFC Championship game back-to-back, and you're kind of primed to do it again. You have a top-five wide receiver. You have a top-ten tight end. You have a top-five running back. You have a top-five offensive line. You have a top-ten defense. What the hell? You have a bright, young, energetic, innovative coach. What is do you want like what is it that you want you want what tom brady has tom brady's got seven rings and makes 12 million this season you got one ring and and uh and make 39 <laughs> like what is it that your problem is dude i i just at this point i'm almost not even like saying shut up i'm actually saying speak up Tell us what the beef is. Tell us what your yeah. problem is so that, like, people can take a side because otherwise it just looks like you're being a baby. Um, Cowherd was on today. Oh, good. And he said yesterday he listened to um, some local Green Bay talk radio. 100% of the callers that called in were against Rodgers. Why? Because they don't understand. Because yeah. you haven't yeah. said anything. It ain't for Colin Cowherd to assume your problem. It's not for ESPN, Stephen A. Smith, Mike Greenberg, any of these guys to assume what your problem is. Especially when you come out the other night and say, it ain't Jordan Love. That's not the problem. I like the kid. He's a good kid. Like, well, then what is it? Just saying culture, and he, and he, that ain't it. And he also said he likes his staff. He goes, I love our staff. I yeah, I like a play. staff that goes back-to-back -back NFC Championship games, too. Yeah. Well, so what is your problem? You need to be a little bit more specific. It's like, it's like if you say like, you know, we're spending too much money and we need to cut some things out. Okay, what do you want to cut out? Well, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, you kind of you need to be a little bit more specific, <laughs> you know. Yeah. As to what it is you wanna you wanna eliminate, or else it's just it's just words. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything. 
Um, so I, I just, you got to say something, dude. You got to be a little bit more specific. Now, again, I say this all the time. We don't know what's going on. I don't know if info, maybe Aaron is actually, maybe Aaron Rodgers is actually do, doing the right thing here. And he's not saying things public, but he is talking to LaFleur and Gunakurst and Murphy behind closed doors. And everybody's just hush-hush about it other than to say, we want Aaron here. Maybe that is going on. Frankly, I hope that's what's going on. Um, but Murphy came out, the president of the team came out today and said, I'm not firing anybody. I'm not firing my GM. I'm not going to be held. Basically said, I'm not going to be held hostage by, yes, the best player on our team, the most important player on our team. I'm not going to be held hostage, and you're not going to dictate how we run the entire organization. And i got to be honest with you, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. Because, yeah, me you too. know, me too. it's easy to sit here and say you should listen to your stars. And you should listen, you know, bring in what they want. What if they're wrong? We have no problem pointing out when a GM, you know, uh, signs a guy to a big contract and that contract and that player, you know, doesn't get it done. We're like, oh, it's a terrible signing. It was a terrible draft pick. Are you going to hold Aaron Rodgers accountable if he wants to bring somebody in and that guy sucks? Do we hold Tom Brady accountable for the fact that outside of obviously uh, nice catches in the Super Bowl, Antonio Brown didn't do shit for Tampa Bay last year. He wasn't a factor. Right. He was a factor in the world in the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong, but he wasn't a factor last year. Do we hold Tom Brady accountable for that? Is that wasted money? Like, do we assume other guys couldn't have made catches? Like, you know, you're going to hold Aaron Rodgers accountable? I don't think so. What if he's wrong? Just like anybody else could be wrong. So, you know, yeah. it just. I I, know, I hope they hold. I hope they ground. hold firm. Yeah, me too. Um, hey, let, you know what? Before Josh joins us, let's go over um, NFC, AFC East. Let's start with the yep. AFC East, okay? See if we can get this in before he joins us here. Yeah, yeah. Buffalo Bills. Uh, some interesting signings. The biggest one, of course, Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, this is big because now you can't. Now, while he's not like a burner anymore, he's not like a high flyer. He's experienced, you know, very good receiver. Um and now you can't just focus 100% on digs. Like, you'll have a, a, a professional yeah. receiver alongside of them. Uh, but outside of that, they were pretty quiet this offseason, wouldn't you say? Very quiet. They beefed up the O-line a little bit. Just lately, they got some guys in camp. Um, you know, build on that 2020 championship game. They were 13-3 last year. They got four primetime games this year. You know, they're going to play the Jets national TV for you twice. Um, one of the biggest problems the they had last year, yeah. One of the biggest problems they had last year is they weren't getting to the quarterback enough. Um, their yeah. defense was solid, but they didn't get pressure on quarterback. And they did draft uh, Rousseau from Miami, Miami. another yep. kid, uh, Boogie Basham. I think he was from Vanderbilt, if I'm not mistaken. So they did kind of address that in the draft. You know, I'm always reluctant to say, well, these you know rookie draft picks are going to have a big impact. It's possible, but you know. Yeah, these things take time. Mark. Yeah, these things they, take they have time. A great, they, have, they have a great secondary, too, so a pass rush so we'll be huge for them. But to me, yeah. I'm just looking at this team, and I'm saying, you know, Josh Allen took a big step last year. If you're saying that, you know, your next step is to make it to the Super Bowl because you went to the AFC Championship game last year, then it seems to me you're really banking on Josh Allen getting even better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're saying yeah, absolutely. we don't have to As change a lot. Well, do, do you think – I mean, he was like an MVP candidate last year. Do you think he can get that much better? Well, I mean, if he stays as well as he did last year, I think you're fine. I think you just need more help defensively. 
you need a run game. The run game was shit all year. This is a pro- That was a major problem. Yeah, and, and, and he was the best running back. Run game. Well, that's what I'm saying. You don't want him to be the run. That that's a mistake right there. So, if they get Zach Morris, not Zach Morris, fucking saved by the bell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's his name? Moses. Uh, I can't think of his name the, from Utah last year. Something I, I'm Moses. Not sure. Zach Moses. Yeah. So if they get him going, you don't have to run uh, Island as much. And like you said, Manny and and Diggs, and they got a couple other guys up there. Gabriel Davis was good down the stretch. So and and let's be honest, the division's still not great. So. Uh, well, the division we're talking about here, it's interesting. There are, t- To me, there are two other teams w- with Miami and the Patriots that we have major question marks on. Like, yeah, they're fighting for second. As, we're, as I was doing the analysis for this, they're absolutely fighting for second, don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying, like, um, I, don't, I don't know. I really had a hard time, like, telling you what I think about those teams um, because they are, you know, vastly different than they were last year, especially the Patriots. I don't know what that means. Um, so we'll get into them in a minute. How about the schedule for the Bills? I'm looking at. I looked at the first five games. Uh, home against the yeah. Steelers at Miami. That's a great one. Yeah. Well, is it? I don't know. Like, we're, we're you know, is it, are we getting the Steelers from the first eleven games of the season? Or are we getting well, Steelers? You know, but but uh, I think to start the year they should be healthy and fresh. At least that, at least you're going to get that. I don't know how talented they're going to be or how banged up Ben's going to be. But defensively, yeah, been, they should be pretty good. There's been times in the past that people counted Ben out. And then he came back yeah. strong the following year. I'm yeah, expecting definitely. him to come in into camp in pretty good shape, ready to go, wanting to prove people wrong. So I agree with you. It's at home, but that'll be a fascinating game. Then it's on the road at Miami, back at home against Washington, which will be a physical, physical football game. Yeah, definitely. Then they got a, what I'm going to say is a pretty easy one at home against Houston, and then they're on the road yeah. at Kansas City. Yep. Um, and then Kansas City at Tennessee back to back. Yeah, tough ones. Although Tennessee so, is another one that we're going to have to get to in another week. That I don't know. They had a strange off season. So I don't know. That's a that's a other than the Houston game. It's a pretty difficult start to the season. Like yeah, there's no other I than agree. Houston. There's no gimmies. And I could see them being anywhere from one and one four to you know four and one. I mean, to be totally honest, yeah. like yeah, I think those are a lot of tough games. But they're a very good team. You know, so three and two wouldn't surprise me. Two and three wouldn't surprise me. I'd be surprised if it was one and four. I'd be surprised if it was four and one. Also, I probably would agree with um, that. But three and two, they should they should hope for three and two, settle for two and three, be very upset with one and four. Um, so that's my feeling on the Bills. I don't know that I still, as I think about them, as I look at them and how they're constructed, I still don't know that they're a Super Bowl contender. I don't know that they're a Super Bowl team. I probably would agree with that. I think what you're asking out of Josh Allen. If you're asking him to improve over what you saw last year, which is, you know, pretty good, um, I think it's a big ask. I don't know. I think it's a big ask to ask that much more out of him. That defense has to improve. What we saw them yes. do against Kansas yes. City, that yeah, defense is going to have to improve. Anymore, yeah. So um, the next next team we have here, Miami Dolphins. That The next team that I have listed, Miami Dolphins. They added Will Fuller, which on paper is an absolutely beautiful signing. The guy's a burner. Below the top off of coverages, uh, he you know he's very explosive. In reality, in the real world, the fact is he gets injured. Very rarely does he play an entire season. He's an expensive player. Although you have a, a, a quarterback who's on a rookie contract, you can kind of afford a player like that right now. Um, but their draft was very nice. I mean, I have to say their draft was nice, and they drafted the type of players that could be immediately impactful. 
obviously, Jalen Waddle right off the top. You know, we mentioned that Jacksonville, um, you know, those those ratings that were really those player ratings that were released, they had Waddle as an eight. Like Jalen Waddle yeah. as an eight. So Jalen Waddle is yeah. an instant impact, explosive, uh Tyreek Hill type of player. Yeah, they got him a familiar face. You know, that's that's for sure. Absolutely. So it look, you know, it looks like right now it's gonna be the two we show hundred percent. But they got they got a good backup in Jacoby Brissett in case something goes wrong. He's not I don't think he could win as many games as Fitzpatrick did last year, but so they're he can deep- save you or help you if something happens to, to two. Oh, for sure. No, he's a pro. He's a pro. He can yeah. settle things down. Um, their their defense was very good last year. If they were missing anything, it was pass rush, and they drafted Jalen Phillips. Now we mentioned Jalen Phillips. Chris Sims thinks that Jalen Phillips is 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 one of the top three picks in this draft in this past draft. If he didn't have those concussion issues, yeah. So if he I know, if he scary. had a, a clean bill of health, he might have been top two three players in this draft. And I think they they got him later in the first round. Um, yeah. So that could, if he's healthy, that could be a steal, and he could be a pass rush force right away. Again, yeah. I'm reluctant to put that kind of pressure on rookies right off the bat, but the potential is there. And if nothing else, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to be a 12 sack guy. If he's just something that put someone that puts pressure on quarterbacks, it's really not something they had a lot of last year. It could be a big difference. And then finally, uh, I think it was a left tackle, Eichenberg. I don't know if he's going to play left tackle for them. They might move him to the right side, but he'll play tackle. Eichenberg from Notre Dame, am I correct? Yep. Yeah. A- another one who I think a is big an instant, guy, man. Good. Yeah. Instant plug and play. He's an instant starter. Yeah. Uh, good draft. Liam, I think. Nice little Irishman. Yeah. So the the question is, you know, it's the same question we have for many teams, and it's, it's is two of your starter? Is two of your starter? And and interestingly enough. What they play seventeen games now. It'll be very interesting. Eight nine games into the season, you know, what if you're like, you know, three and five, three and six, and you know, two is averaging like one hundred seventy yards per game kind of thing. Are you already bailing on this guy? And if so, now what? Because you've in a very short amount of time. I have to give this front office some credit, man. It was only two years ago that this was. Remember, it was tank for Tua. Yep. They were supposed to be really bad, and now just a year and a half, two years later, they're a legitimate football team. They were one game away from yeah. being a playoff team last year. Absolutely. If Tua's not your guy, it's like now what? You know. <laughs> I mean, it's really pretty crazy. And then it, then it begs the question: if Deshaun Watson kind of clears his no, name just, or settles his issues, bring that up. Yeah. does it yeah. then become more imminent? You know. That, that you try to make that move, so it'll be interesting. Or did they, or, or did they miss their window on it? If well, he gets cleared, well, the problem is like, two is a little more enticing right now. If you start off two and five, three and six, it's like, well, your yeah. quarterback sucks. We don't want him. Well, you know, we're not going to trade you for him. Way. I was looking at it from Houston's way too. Like this is what I'm saying. If you're Houston, yeah. you're like, well, I don't want that guy. He kind of showed him. The reason you're coming after Watts is because your guy's shown himself to suck. And now we don't want them, you know. Now it's like, you know, and now that trade doesn't look as good until after the season because they're going to want to see that that's a higher draft pick so that they can go get a quarterback. So you're right. They might have missed their window. My sense is they believe in Tua. Or at least, well, they obviously enough. At least they're keeping their fingers crossed. (laughs) Enough to put some (laughs) pieces around them. Let's look at their schedule. Um, 
at the Patriots. They open up at the Patriots. Then they're home against the Bills. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Home against the Bills. Then they're at the Raiders. Home against the Colts at Tampa. I'm not gonna oh, lie, shit. dude. That's that's, that's a hellacious. That's, a that's whole, one and four. Very easily, right? Very wow. easily. And what do you what are you giving them a win as the at Raiders? I was gonna go Matt New England to be honest with you. That's a tough game. I know. I know. That's a tough wow. game. Yeah, really Bill Belichick against Tua. And I tell you, at Jacksonville, Week Six isn't that easy because there's such a question mark. We don't know what they're gonna be. It's it's um. Wow. That's a tough open for them, dude. There's no easy yeah. games because even the Raiders, you have to go out to Vegas. You know, you'll, oh, you'll ha- it'll be the first time, not the first game for the Raiders, but like we're, we're going to have fans in the seats. It'll be a full stadium out oh, in Vegas. It's be a so two. that that yeah. might be what the Raiders' second home game of the season. Maybe it's their first. I don't know what their first two games are. Uh, no, they open up with Baltimore at home. That's going to be great. Right. So like you're talking Raiders' second home game ever in this new stadium. That place is going to be rocking. Yeah, and you yeah, got a five foot eleven quarterback. I, that's not a win. That's not a guaranteed win. Like you could easily see them starting off zero and five. So, yeah, that's you know the schedule matters. Now you go one and four, zero and five to start the season, and it's like you're not com- yeah, you're not making those. playoffs. And then the, then the major questions arise. That's why I say like at that point, are you like two is not the guy? And then it's like, well, now what? Jacoby Brissett, your guy? You know, like that's a hell of a thing. Hell of a thing. Patriots. They did the most unpatriot. Should I say unpatriotic? I don't think that fits. The not yeah. most non-patriot thing this offseason and spent a shit ton of money. They spent more than anybody else in the NFL. I don't know if that's just because Belichick is getting older and doesn't have the time to rebuild an entire organization from scratch. Good point. Or good if point. they're looking at the rest of the division and saying this is a division that can be you know, taken over in the next year or two. Um, John U. Smith, Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar, who I do not think that was a good signing, but whatever. They did lose Joe Tooney, which I think is nothing to sneeze at. The guy's the best, probably the best guard in the league. And we lost them. That that matters, especially when you drafted a relatively stationary quarterback like Mac Jones. Um, they drafted Christian Barrymore, defensive tackle out of Bama, which is like a it's just typical Patriots draft pick. Well, they re- they resigned Cam, right? Cam's gonna mm-hmm. be Cam's gonna be the guy to start, and then do, do they you want have any faith in Cam? Year? Do you have faith no, in Cam? No, no, zero, zero. No, I have zero faith in Cam. At least, it's funny. at least early, maybe a little bit more than I would have later, because he's gonna get his ass kicked again. Yeah, it's funny to me when people are like, "Well, you know, Cam, one more year in the, in the system, he won't have COVID. He's got." Um, weapons this year, and I'm like, I get the yeah, whole a- didn't have weapons last year, though, but if you watched any New England games, when he throws a five-yard out into the dirt, that has yeah. nothing to do with the weapon, okay? That has nothing to do with the type of player, the quality of the player he was throwing to. Cam is not a great passer. He's he's a pretty damn good passer when throwing the ball Downfield. Vertical. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I will give him that. Like, he's a pretty good downfield passer. But, like, on those timing throws, accuracy throws, quick outs and stuff like that, I, I just don't see Cam, you know, and he's you not going to think... become a better runner. He's just he's either going to be the same or less. Like, he's getting older. Yeah. You don't think they're a landing spot for Julio Jones. They don't have the money to pull that off, right? Well, there's, there's – there's, 
listen, you can always move money around. We talked about that. We did. We did learn that a team can eat. We can. You can force a team to eat some of the salary. So if you can get Atlanta to eat, say five million, and yeah. now you got to pay Julio Jones ten million. Um, I I think they probably could pull that off, because mm-hmm. I I don't think they used. They had a shitload of money that they were capable. You know, under the cap this year. Right. Uh, they did not use all of it, although they use a lot of it. And frankly, you can make that room. I'm I'm of the mind that I don't see a lot of teams running to make a move for Julio Jones, and I think the reason is you're not sure what's left in a tank, number one, he's expensive, number two, and he's not on the field every week, number three. I heard a report earlier this week that for the last two seasons, the guy barely ever practices. It's not because yeah. he's lazy or he just no, he's but he's banged, banged, up. banged up all the time, and he's a gamer. And he shows up on most game days. You know, he played 15 games two years ago. This past season, he only played, what, eight? Yeah, 52 catches. Uh, it? Yeah, might eight or nine. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it was nine games. Yeah, no, 52 catches. Right. You know, I'm not I'm not signing up for that. Listen, him and A.J. Green came in the same year. Look where Green's career, injury, 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 and then it's really the same way. You know, we'll find out. And I don't want to give up a first-round pick or anything more than I have to. For absolutely. That, so. No, absolutely. So, so let's look at their schedule real quick. Um, by the way, they drafted, they drafted, uh, what's his name? Cameron McGrone, linebacker from Michigan. Yes, sir. Is he any good? He's a little, he's fast. He's a little little undersized. And I thought, and I thought he should have stayed another year in Michigan, but we'll see. And he got hurt early last year. Okay. So he's coming off, he's coming off a knee or an ankle injury too. So, so here's their schedule. They opened up with the Dolphins at home. Then they're at the Jets. Home against New Orleans, home against Tampa at Houston. Now, we don't know. We mentioned that we don't know about the Dolphins. We don't know what they're going to be, although we kind of suspect, you know, they were a 10-win team last year. They should be there. They should be okay. Jets should be bad. In my opinion. We don't know about the Saints. In my opinion, I'm thinking the Saints are going to be down. They do, You know, there's no Drew Brees. They're going to be down. They should win that game at home. Tampa's going to be really tough, although that place is going to be rocking with Tom Brady. Yeah, that's going to be a fun shit. night. That's, that's going to be a fun. Yeah, that's going to be fun. And then yeah. you should have a win against Houston. I can see them getting off to a four and one start. I can absolutely see them da- getting off to a four and one start. Comes in Dallas is a question mark after that too. Like that'll be a fun game. Yeah, you know. But so I, I, I can I can see that. Listen, we're going to get back to finishing AFC East. Um, in a couple minutes, or maybe more than yeah. a few minutes. Yeah, we're gonna save the best for last. And the yeah, New York Jets. That's, I, w- I want to let you go on that one. That's a good point. <laughs> maybe we should yeah. just eliminate that segment. Um, or we just end it with that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, right now, well, we're gonna be joined by Josh Hennig of ESPN Radio, ninety-seven point three South Jersey. Uh, Josh, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining us. No problem. How are you guys doing? Doing okay. We had a bunch of questions for you about a number of different things. We'll start with some Eagles stuff. And uh, I have to ask, are you at this point comfortable with analyzing potential draft choices by playing hand games such as rock, paper, scissors, or maybe <laughs> tiddlywinks, or games of checkers or chess? How, did you feel, how do you feel about that? Well... Here's the problem. I, I feel a little bit more comfortable about it than sports science because sports science told Chip Kelly to draft Marcus Smith oh. and Nelson Aguilar. So <laughs> at least at least we're not there. Uh, if rock, paper, scissors means you draft the Heisman Trophy winner, it can't be all bad, right? I, I think that, that, that's kind of where I stand on it. I think a lot of people 
here's the problem. A lot of people read a lot into that rock, paper, scissors. They didn't neglect the whole quote. The whole quote was Sirianni, first of all, was handed the question by Roseman. The original question was about evaluation of talent. Right. Roseman said, oh, well, Nick can handle that question. First of all, that should tell you that Roseman is deferring to Sirianni on things, which in and in of itself is a good thing. Second of all, Sirianni's whole point was he wants competition. He wants competitors. He doesn't want jobs handed to them. And if I remember correctly, didn't we have Travis Fulgham play great for, what, five weeks? Right. And then Doug Peterson was like, yeah, but I like Alshon Jeffrey, so I'm going to put Jeffrey in the lineup. Now, if you had a coach who cared about competition, he'd be like, Alshon, we appreciate you, but we can't put this kid on the bench. So in the big picture, I'm okay if rock, paper, scissors gets you a more competitive <laughs> football team. Go ahead, Scott. Josh, um, so you, you have more confidence in Nick Sirianni than I do. That press conference was alarming. Well, uh, which one? Like well, the, the first, first one or the second one? Which, which one are we talking about? There's, yeah, been, a the, of, there's been a lot of them. <laughs> well, to my point, <laughs> does this guy have a clue? And love to, to, to piggyback off that, is there going to be any patience with Hurts? Because it's going to be a long year. Do they think he's the guy going forward? Or, or if they're 2-15 if they're and 15 or 3-14, and 14, do you move on? Okay, so those are two different things. First of all, I'm going to address the Hurts part first because I think that's, to me, the most interesting conversation. Because at the end of the day, the coach may be one person at a press conference and another person with the players. Like sure. If you, like if anybody saw the video of Sirianni from a couple of years ago from NFL Films, I mean, he's walking around the practice field dropping F-bombs, you know, talking, you know, just shooting it up with the players, you know, talking about technique. So – if we get that guy, you're fine. If you get the guy who was handed a pile of horse manure by Jeffrey Laurie in the first press conference because Laurie wanted to go on a 15-minute diatribe and then leave his new head coach to stand with by himself in a room with a camera, with a Zoom screen, and try to answer questions, then you may have a problem. Now, here's the thing with Hurts. You better be patient with him because name every quarterback in Eagles history over the last 20 years. What did this team do? Give them not one, not two, not three, not four, not... How many chances were all these quarterbacks given? Carson Wentz was the worst statistical quarterback in the league last year. They didn't bench him until near the end of the season. How many chances did they give to Kevin Cobb, Sam Bradford, Nick Foles? He's been here twice already. How many chances did we give to A.J. Feely, Coy Detmer? I feel like there's a history of this franchise giving multiple chances to quarterbacks. So if you're not patient with Jalen Hurts now, after just last year, Howie Roseman said, well, you know, we passed on Russell Wilson, but I'm not going to say his name to the media, but you know who I'm talking about. And we feel like this guy is similar to him. So if in some reality you think that he is anywhere close to Russell Wilson, you better be patient with him because Peyton Manning did lead the league in interceptions his rookie year. Sure. So you make a great point about that first press conference with Sirianni. I think it was, I, I felt like it was just so unfair because, you know, in a normal press conference when a coach gets hired, there's there's press there. 
there's a room filled with people and there's kind of a vibe and there's an energy and there's clearly, you know, as a teacher myself and I'm teaching to students on Zoom, it's a friggin' joke. It's impossible to get any kind of energy. Um, so I think it was totally unfair. So are you kind of telling us that the Nick Sirianni that is going to be the head coach and we'll see as the head coach of the Eagles is more like the guy we saw in the second press conference? I'm not talking about the rock, paper, scissors stuff. He was energetic. He was talking. He looked like a guy that he didn't want to be sitting there. He wanted to stand and talk. Like, is that more of what you think we're going to see as the coach of the Eagles? I think it's the second and the third press conference. Because no one was talking about the third press conference, where he starts talking about how it's about fundamentals and technique, where he's talking about, you know, we want to have matchups. We want to win matchups. This offense is about setting guys up. The second press conference talks about what an X receiver is. I think that's who Sirianni is. I can't promise you he's going to win you a Super Bowl like Doug Peterson did. But what I can promise you is this guy's a football lifer. Yeah. This guy, I was a coach. He's played his whole life. He's coached his whole life. All he knows is football. And honestly, I'm okay if your obsession is football instead of your obsession being like Chip Kelly's sports science. And I keep referring <clears throat> to Chip because there's a part of me that wonders if Doug Peterson was an anomaly because of the mm. fact there were so many things that had to go right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it just kind of happened that, you know, for example, he didn't hire Jim Schwartz. He was handed Jim Schwartz. Or, for example, how they just happened to get two former Patriots in the offseason, Chris Long and LeGarrette Blunt. How his former buddy, Howie Roseman's former buddy, Mike Tannenbaum, just gave him Jay Ajayi at, before the trade deadline. And how they just happened to get home field advantage. It just felt like you had to wonder... Yeah, Doug Peterson got to the postseason for three straight years. But is that really like a, a tangible example? So to me, right. I can't really compare Sirianni to Peterson too much. <laughs> but I know for sure that I hated and I despised the condescending schmuck that was Chip Kelly. <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that area. Yeah, I don't think you're alone in this uh, room, to be honest with you. Not a particularly <laughs> likable guy, that is for certain. Now, the funny thing is, if you're Bill Belichick, you're not a particularly likable guy. But if you've got six Super Bowl rings, people will put up with a lot of shit. But they're not going to put up um, with it. You but know. there's one thing with Belichick. Yeah, remember, his players like him. Uh-huh. Kelly's yeah. players hated him. Before he was even fired, Lane Johnson was talking crap on the head coach. Yeah. It's, so, it's one thing when the people outside the cameras don't like you. When the people in the building don't like you, you probably have a right. problem. Exactly. So, so obviously the Eagles finished off the season poorly last year and, you know, all the predictions everywhere are that it's going to be a really rough season for them next year. I look at the beginning of their schedule and the first four or five games are tough, but I also look and say Sirianni's a former wide receivers coach and one of the biggest problems on his team was wide receivers and they weren't maybe playing up to their potential. Um, tons of injuries, you know, is, is this team, if healthy, can they make some noise? Or are they kind of as bad? I mean, when, you're, when, you, when you let go or trade Carson Wentz and you eat that kind of salary cap for a season, it's going to cause holes. You can't, that's money that can't be used. But if they're healthy, can they make some noise this year? If healthy, this is an eight-win team, in my opinion. At least, okay. Because so that means they're pulling off some upsets here or there. They're not just rolling over. Right. They're gonna they're gonna make they're gonna be a problem. Because the the stretch of their schedule from what, I think it's week two to seven 
is really where things get like really weird. But once you get past that point, oh yeah, you're right, Josh. Wow, the, the schedule after week seven is a lot more manageable in retrospect. Well, okay. Not retrospect, it'd be a preview looking yeah. ahead. Yeah. So, yeah. I have to wonder for this team. So if Lane Johnson's healthy, all pro right tackle. If Brandon Brooks is healthy, which Brandon Brooks looks like he's an Adonis right now. I mean, that dude is shredded right now. I don't think I've ever seen a guard look as good as he does with his shirt off in my life. But, uh, you know, so he's on the field practicing right now. Jason Kelsey, we know what he is. I I want to see him a lot. I'd be the left tackle, personally. I think that kid's a stud. And I think if that's what he did after playing football in his life before a couple of years ago, what can he do with a full offseason and being prepared for that job? I think if the offensive line is good, this team can compete. Because at the end of the day, it's not sexy, but championships and games are won in the trenches. I totally agree. So, we talk about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The so if the, if the Eagles' offensive and defensive line are healthy, <laughs> then I'm not as worried about Hurts. I'm not as worried about the coach. Because that kind of like compensates for certain yeah. things. I mentioned this exact thing to Scotty when we did the NFC East last week. I said – don't be so quick to count out the Eagles. You know, it's a rough schedule at first, but if their offensive line is healthy, you have a mobile quarterback that can make plays and generate excitement. Don't be so quick to count them out. Don't be so quick. Um, I have two more football questions before we get to the Sixers, non-Eagles questions. Number one, uh, we talked about this pre, you know, uh, maybe a month ago. John Gruden is in the middle of a 10-year contract and has shown – I'll say the Raiders have not shown much in, in improvement or like, I don't know how few, how bright the future looks. Um, you're in a division with uh, Mahomes and now with Herbert. Um, if you're like, if you're in the Raiders front office, is there a point in a 10 year contract when you're like, Jesus, like, do we actually have to start thinking about how the hell to get out of this thing? So, a couple things there. One, let's remember that Gruden was hired before Mayock. Correct. So, the guy who's running the front office, running the front office, quote-unquote, Mike Mayock, was hired after the head coach. So, what you're But we know Gruden saying, has a lot of say. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah, got a $100 million was, contract. He's got a ton of say. Right. right. Yeah. So, we already know that Gruden has a lot of say. We know he's... Basically, they're, they're almost marketing him. If you ever watch any Raiders ads out there in Vegas right now, they market Gruden more than the oh, players. It's totally true. <laughs> which, which in and of itself is hilarious because what you're basically saying is, come to Raiders games for Chucky. Don't play about the team. So that in and of yeah, itself Yeah, come to our games for the coach. Maybe we'll win. <laughs> right. Like, e, so, okay. <laughs> so, and remember, you're in Vegas now. So... At least the first couple of years. By the way, they just announced this week they're going to have fans right, in Vegas. Right. Vegas was the last stadium to say they're going to have fans there, which makes no sense to I me know. because the Vegas Strip has been open, maskless, and free reign for about a month now. But yeah. whatever. Uh, how about fine. it's been free reign for thirty years? You can get laid in Las Vegas for for the right price. I mean, legally. So <laughs> that's a different conversation. Yeah. But the point is, is that you're in Vegas, right? You're not the Golden Knights. You're not the Vegas Strip. You're the Raiders. So people aren't really coming for the Raiders. They're coming for the fact that you have a DJ in the building and that they're going to sell 60% of the crowd to the out-of-towners. So at the end of the day, 
does Mark Davis really care right now about the team mm. as much as he cares about making back the money he had to pay right. to move the team from Oakland to Vegas? And that's kind of where I'm at with Jordan. Uh, to me, I think we forget about the, the business side of sports at times, that these people are businessmen. And Mark Davis is literally, and I, it sounds oxymoronic to say this, is the poorest owner in the NFL. He has the least yep. wealth, the least capital. He has the least everything. So if he looks at Gruden and says, I just need to sell tickets and make money for a couple of years to stabilize this thing, then you know what? It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It doesn't matter that the offensive line, that we don't even understand what they're doing with the offensive line. It doesn't matter that Mike Mayock every year drafts the guy about two rounds ahead of where he should. <laughs> the is, is that, hey, are we selling tickets? Because we got to pay that $700 million budget we had to make to move this team here, and that's why we hired DJ. Okay, last football question. I'll leave this as wide open as and take it wherever you want to, wherever you want to go. Your feelings on Aaron Rodgers, that situation. I think Aaron Rodgers is proving that he is an individual who is just thinks that he's been disrespected his whole life. He thinks that he should have been drafted ahead of Alex Smith. He thinks that he should have been starting all along. He thinks that he should have won more Super Bowls. He thinks Mike McCarthy was a waste of time. He thinks that Brian Gutekinds is a waste of time. I and mean, you saw that Kenny Mayne interview. I mean, he named everybody in the organization except the front office. And because the Packers are the only NFL team with no real owner, there's nobody to tell the front office, you suck. So as far as Rodgers is concerned, I think that until someone proves to him that they respect him, He's going to be at odds with them, and I have to wonder if we will ever see him play in a Packers uniform ever again until these idiots in the front office like Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekis actually realize that they've basically told their quarterback, who is a future Hall of Famer, league MVP, has the greatest touchdown-interception ratio of any quarterback in NFL history, you're not important. I mean, that's... Well, that's let me ask thing. you this, just to push back on that a little bit. You have mm -hmm. a top five wide receiver. You have a probably a top 10 tight end. You have a top five running back. You have at least a top 10 offensive line and a top 10 defense. You've been in an NFC championship game two years in a row. You probably should have won it this year after Tom Brady throws three straight interceptions. Right. You make $39 million this year. I'm curious, is like, what else are they supposed to do? Well, the first thing they should do is have a conversation about the things that you just said. So that top tier receiver, Devontae Adams, is he a top receiver without Aaron Rodgers? I, I'm with you. I've said this about receivers that come out of New Orleans. When they leave New Orleans and Drew Brees, suddenly they're kind of average. But right. that's what elite quarterbacks are supposed to do, right? You make B or yeah. B-plus receivers, you turn them into A and A-plus receivers. So, for example... Now, that being said, we know Julio Jones isn't going to be in at Atlanta anymore. What if you? What if the Packers go out and get Julio Jones? Wouldn't right. that be a message to your quarterback that, listen, we're going to win with you right now. And if you want to leave after this year, that's fine. But we have you on the books for, as you said, $39 million. So 
If we hand you Julio Jones, are you happy, yes or no? Then And then you also have to ask him, because he wants to play, you know, amateur general manager, who are we cutting? Because we got to find $10 million to pay at least $10 million. That's assuming that Atlanta will eat $5 million of the $15 million that's owed to Jones. Who are we cutting to get that $10 million? Like these are well, questions. These are real questions that yeah. have to be answered to bring these kinds of players in. This is this is the well, only pushback I ever give. Like yeah. it's a hard cap. There's no questions about like right. where you you have an exact amount that you can spend. And you know you want to be like Tom Brady, but Tom Brady's going to be you know on the books for nine million for Tampa this year. That's why they were able to sign everybody. So if you want to take thirty million off your contract, oh, we'll bring in Julio Jones. I'll bring in a couple other guys too. Well, how about this point? Rodgers and the GM admitted that nobody has talked about re, you know, reworking his contract. Howie Roseman reworked 30 contracts this offseason. Yeah, yeah. The Packers reworked five. Yeah. I, I'm just saying, like, maybe there's a point where the GM, maybe the GM needs to go find his Howie Roseman and, like, <laughs> rework some contracts or something. Because for some reason, nobody's called Rodgers about saying, hey, can we lower that cap number? We and assume. Push road yeah we assume that no one did well at least the gm says he didn't so oh, okay well hey if that's if those are his words then we got i would take him at that um let's talk some 76ers has there been a more disrespected number one seed in nba history like i don't hear you hear people talking about the lakers you hear people talk about the nets i hear people talking in the east about the bucks um you maybe hear some talk uh, although you know they got some injuries with utah you don't hear people talking about the Sixers. They're a number one seed. They have maybe right now the most unstoppable player in the NBA with Embiid. Are they a championship team? They're a championship team. But I also hear what you're saying about them being disrespected. I'm, I'm not sold on the Nets yet. Because I'm not convinced that two superstars who have had soft tissue injuries this year in Durant and Harden are going to survive an entire postseason without injuring themselves, number one. Number point. two, Kyrie Irving decides at oh, random points in time Jesus. that he doesn't want to play basketball, even though he's being played tens of millions of dollars. Once a so, month, he has to go on a sabbatical. So how do I know that game three of your conference finals, that Kyrie Irving decides that the world is burning around me, I need to go take a break, and then Durant pulls his hamstring again? And by the way, Steve Nash has as much playoff coaching oh experience God. as three of us. Has he <laughs> even actually coached the Nets this year, or is he just kind of stood no. on the sidelines with his arms crossed and nodded a few times? No, it, his big job is he talks to all the players who are not named Harden, Durant, <laughs> uh, Griffin, uh, Kyrie. He talks to everybody else, and he lets <laughs> the other coaches handle the players. You, you mean, remember who's on, remember who's on his bench? His old coach, Mike D'Antoni, is just hanging around collecting yeah. a paycheck. Don't, don't forget. He doesn't want to talk flat earth philosophy with Kyrie Irving. No, I can't no, imagine. He hey, the Steve Nash move like this reminds me of my high school football coach. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Wait, that guy knew what he was doing, though. Oh. <laughs> Josh, to piggyback on the Sixers, um, is there going to be patience with this team if they don't go to the championship game? Like, Doc Rivers won, they have a young team? No, no huh? patience because Sixer fans are irrational. Okay, at the end of the day, Sixer fans, they they won a game on Sunday, and nobody criticizes Ben Simmons for missing six free throws. They criticize him for not scoring ten or more points. 
Meanwhile, okay. he had 15 wow. rebounds, 15 assists, which is bananas right. for basically a point guard. Oh, my God. That's how it is down there? Holy Nobody shit. Nobody talks about Tobias Harris carrying that team for three quarters. Right, right. It's all about the fact that why did Doc Rivers bring Furkan Korkmaz in in the middle of the second quarter? This is the problem. The, the criticisms of this team are all off base. When Brett Brown was here, did they criticize Brett Brown for his coaching philosophy? No. You know what I got text messages for? I have a buddy who used to go to every Sixers game for the pandemic. He would have a couple. He would be a couple seats ahead of where Zoom off and Allah Abdanabi called the game. He would text me, "What was up with the out of bounds play? Out of bounds play? <laughs> you play for the out of bounds play? Joel and beat Ben Simmons combined for twelve turnovers in the game. Like, here's the thing: Kobe Bryant before he passed away, his last detail on ESPN Plus. He spent 12 minutes on the Sixers. And eight of those 12 minutes, he was eviscerating them. Not the coaching, but the players. Right. And Kobe made a comment in there that says, on the players to make these decisions, to make better decisions on the court. So, for, as far as I'm concerned, unless the Sixers get to the conference finals this year and go six, seven games with whoever it is, yeah. everyone's going to say, trade Ben Simmons, fire Daryl Morey, uh, trade Tobias Harris, whatever. It's they're they're gonna want anarchy because at the end of the day, there's a contingent of this fan base who looks at the process and says the process was stupid, the process was a waste, and they can't separate the process that was during Sam Inky, which was yeah three GMs ago, right from what is going on right now. And at the end of the day, it's just it is what it is. And you know what, fan is short for fanatic. Well, that's what I was going to add to that. Because now you're going on what? Year seven or six or seven on trust the process, top picks. That was it the, the big guy, Okafor's gone. Okafor's Noel's, gone. Noel's gone. gone. You traded you traded the pick away for Jason Tatum. Yep. And you only have Embiid and Simmons. And I tell you, man, I can see where the fans are getting a little impatient there. But too. why? They're they're the number one seed. They're winning. They're they're they're. But but but, 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 but like Josh said, if the Nets played their all their games, they would they they'd be the number one. Seed. I know, but they're not. This the is Bucks where are, we are. But I mean, you could say that if Embiid played every game, if Simmons played every game, if LeBron and and it, this is where they are. Like I don't know. That just seems unfair to like. Well, if then they wouldn't be. You don't know that. I don't know that. Like you, it's just that's a hell well, of a listen, thing to say. Look at the West. The, the Nuggets and the Suns are one and two or, or two and one. They're getting disrespected too. Yeah, but they're getting disrespected, and they haven't. This, this is like new for them to win. That's all I'm saying. So it's like well, Philly Sixers won. Phillies, the, the Sixers were in the conference finals last year. Okay. So I'm just saying, like they've been a winning team now for a couple years. Like it's not like it's not surprised that they're they're here. on the winning they're on the winning path. Yeah, for sure. All right, Josh. I'm looking at I'm looking at Embiid and I'm looking at the rest of the Eastern Conference and then and then the West. And I just say, I'm looking at this playoff landscape. Is there anyone? Is there any team out there that you're like, you know what? They have someone that can match up with Embiid because I, I just I don't see it. I don't think that person exists in the Eastern Conference, especially considering the fact that Miami's down 2-0 to the Bucks right now. Because to me, the only guy who could work and beat is Bam Adebayo because he's an athlete and he's active. If he doesn't have to deal with Bam, nobody's stopping him. The problem is, is that we look at the Eastern Conference just based on what you guys were saying. Who in the Eastern Conference has a resume? There's one team. It's not the Sixers. No. It's not the Nets. It's not the Bucks. 
It's definitely not the Knicks. It's not the Hawks. And we know it's not the Celtics anymore because Jalen Brown isn't there. It's the Miami Heat. So the only team with a resume to say they've done anything in the last couple of years is the team that's down 2-0 to the Bucs. So at the end of the day, do we really believe that any team is a clear favor in the Eastern Conference? That's fair. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Sky, do you have any more Sixer stuff? I do not. Okay, so let's do some Phillies because I was listening yesterday on the radio and Mike Gill was on fire talking about the Phillies and how they are just, they seem to be a team lacking pride. That was the word that he used, that they're lacking pride. I actually look and I say, baseball is the kind of sport that doesn't lend itself to urgency. Like, you know, you're playing all these games and any one game doesn't, you know, have like this imminent uh, importance like you do in the NFL or college football. And so between the lack of urgency in the sport and what I actually think is the problem is a lack of leadership on the Phillies. You don't have that Derek Jeter, um, uh, David Ortiz, Tom Brady kind of player who like will, will walk into a dugout or a locker room and say, oh, enough's enough, let's go. So my, my, my main question to you about the Phillies this early in the season, because we, you know, baseball has ebbs and flows, and to, to pick any one month or few weeks and say, well, this is who they are, is unfair. Um, who is Who would you say is the leader of this team right now? I would argue that they don't have a leader. Yeah, I, I think, think that's, that's a problem. That's, it's a huge problem, but this is a this is a baseball problem because especially when you got a guy like Bryce Harper, who's supposed to be this mega star, mega talent. Sure, you know he's not he, stepping he, up he as leads, a leader. He leads by example. Listen, I mentioned this the other day when I was on ninety-seven-three ESPN. Remember the ninety-three Phillies? They had Macho Rowe. Those guys policed the team. That right. wasn't Jim Fregosi's team. That was Macho Rose team. That was Dalton. That was Crook. That was Pete Incavilla. Those guys laid down the law. Look at the Yankees when they won. You know, Scott W. is wearing that Yankee jersey. Look at the Yankees in the late 90s. It was Bernie Williams. It was Paul O'Neill. It was all those guys. They laid down the law. Yeah. yeah. Baseball teams that don't have leadership in the locker room will always and forever never meet expectations. Yeah, they're second and third place teams. No matter how right. talented they are, and the Phillies are talented. There's talent there. And guess what? Absolutely, you can maybe win a division without too much leadership if you're in a, in a weak division, like the National League East is this year. But at the end of the day, I don't see that guy who polices that locker room. I know it's supposed to be McCutcheon and Real Mudo and Harper, but they don't have those personalities. Har- Harper plays to the fans. He's not playing to his teammates half the time. His teammates love him, but he he's there. He signed the contract because he's selling the tickets. McCutcheon's old, and Real Muto, as far as I'm concerned, he may be the best hitting catcher in baseball, but he doesn't talk much. Yeah. So the Phillies, what Dave, Dave Dombrowski is doing right now is he's saying, I'm evaluating this franchise. This is evaluation mode. And I don't know if the trade happens at the trade deadline or happens in the offseason, but he is going to blow up half this team, I feel like. I feel like he is letting this thing fester. So when he makes certain moves, he can say, well, you know, I watched this team for an entire year or half a year, and I saw X, Y, Z didn't happen. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm trading all these people. I think that's what's going to happen. I'm glad you brought up the Harper thing because I was always curious about what his teammates thought of him because he looks like a big me guy. 
I mean, everything I've heard and read, his teammates like him a lot. He's one of those guys you love him if you're, he's on your team, you hate him with yeah. all your team kind yeah. of guy. So, gotcha. you know, that seems to be the attitude. I've actually heard that Harper actually goes out of his way to like help younger players, give them advice. He's, um, did you guys happen to read Jeff Perlman's book, The uh, Three Ring Circus? I did not. No, I did not either. So in the book, it talks about how Shaq literally would take every rookie under his wing and he would buy the rookie suits and he would buy the people cars and he would basically take care of these guys. He didn't even make the team by the time the season happened, some of them, but he took care of them anyway. Apparently Harper is a similar attitude where he's like, hey, you need something? I got you. Hey, you need this? It's all good. Or whatever it may be, he seems to be a guy that takes care of his teammates. So. Awesome. Which great, you're a good, great teammate. Yeah, you're not the leader of the team. You know, you could be a great teammate and not be the leader of the team. I mean, just look at the nine, the uh, 2008 Phillies. That was a team that who was the leader of that team? Howard Otley. Uh, I'm trying to think who else is on that team. Jimmy Rollins. Well, think about it. Chase Utley just went home to his wife every night. Okay, Ryan Howard, not a very gregarious guy. It was Jimmy, and Jimmy was the one who would be abrasive, would say the crazy stuff, and he did that on purpose, right? By the way, he won a league MVP when he was in Philadelphia, and I think that there's going to be some of the fact that you had three superstars, quote-unquote, at their positions, Howard, Utley, and Rollins, but Utley was the guy who led by example, Howard was the big piece, and Jimmy was the vocal one. And the problem is, unless you have a vocal leader in yeah. a baseball clubhouse, 162-game season, it drags. I like yeah, how you brought sure. up Paul O'Neill for the Yankees. You're 100% right. I didn't even think about him. And it's a great point because while he was a very good player, he was not the best player on the Yankees. But he right. was clearly one of the leaders of that team that would absolutely put his boot you know, in someone's backside yeah. if, if need yep. be. And you're absolutely yeah. right. It's needed. We're talking with Josh Hennig here, 97.3 ESPN Radio down here in South Jersey. Um, I have some UFC stuff that I wanted to get to because I personally am a big fan. I'm a hey, can I do one, Yeah, no, can I'm can sorry. Go ahead, please, by all means. No, one more Philly thing before, yeah, yeah. before you get to the UFC. So did I read somewhere where the Phillies are on a 10-year playoff drought? Uh, I believe it is 10 years. I believe Most, it was 2011. Year, yeah, that's what I read, man. That's crazy. Um, are they frustrated with Girardi? Is it, do they they spend a lot of money? Is it the front office? Is it the wrong money? Is it so, the pitching staff? So here's my thing. I think the people who blame Girardi are lazy because I've heard every year, whether it was Ryan Sandberg, Pete McCannon, Gabe Kapler, now Girardi, this isn't the right manager. Yeah. Well, the point is it not the right players. Right. I think the problem is when Matt Clintack stepped down and John Middleton made the comment that nobody wants to move their family in the middle of a pandemic and waited about three months to bring in Dave Dombrowski, he basically ruined this season. So you're stuck with Clintax players for at least okay. half the year. Yeah. And I think Dombrowski is in evaluation mode. I think the problem is this roster. I think that there is, outside of Harper, Real Muto, and Zach Wheeler, I don't think there's anybody exceptional on this roster. Yeah, I mean, you're right. This is more or less the same team for the last three Many of them four years, yeah. so to expect yeah. it to be much different is, um, well, it's just unfair, like you said, to a manager. So, 
Um, so back, so to do some UFC stuff, just to close out here, um, I had, I watched, I- I'm a convert, you know, most of us were all boxing fans. If you're into the UFC, I'm sure at some point you were into boxing and I- I'm a total convert now. Not that I won't watch boxing, but I love the UFC. This past event, a uh, couple, you know, was it last weekend with, uh, Oliveira and Chandler, just an amazing fight. And it, it that one fight kind of encapsulated why I love the UFC because I was thinking about this before you came on. Back when Tyson, when, when a big Tyson fights were coming and he would knock a guy out in the first or second round, while it was awesome, we were also kind of disappointed because it was just, it was over so quick. I've right. never felt like that in a UFC fight. Th- that fight was over in the second round. And I wasn't disappointed because in the first round, you kind of had the underdog, Chandler, kind of rock Oliveira, get him on, you know, had him kind of, you know, backing off and stumbling a little bit. And and then we go to break and you're thinking, can Chandler finish us off? Because he's a legit banger. I mean, he's he's an absolute beast. And then Oliveira comes back out in the second round and takes him out. And you're like, what the hell did I just watch? And I said this to Scotty last week when we knew you were coming on. I said... I'm at a point now with boxing where I, I can't stay awake for the fights. And with UFC, when it's over, I can't fall asleep. Like, I, it, it's just how it is. And I just think, and I'll, I want your opinion on this, do you think the UFC and, and MMA in general, but UFC is the biggest name, do you think it's just a better product right now than professional boxing? I think it's a better product because of a, a – it's so – if you go back to the 90s when the UFC first started, and I don't mean like the very beginning where it was like a basically a no holds barred you know brawl basically for like the first 10 UFC right, cards. Right. I mean when it first started becoming mixed martial arts as we know it today. They built those fight cards. They didn't just headline those cards. They built fight cards. You go to a UFC fight to see the whole thing. Right. You mentioned Mike Tyson. You didn't go to watch the entire fight card. You showed up for the co-main event, made sure your tail was seated because you didn't want to miss Mike knock somebody out, right? right? The UFC, it's, I got to watch the prelims. <laughs> I got to watch the full main card. Now I got money on the fight. Right. Now I got a parlor on. Now I got a fantasy lineup going for the whole thing. I see these 20 commercials. I got to go get a Modelo beer. I got to sit back <laughs> and I gotta watch these fights. <laughs> become an event yes so like you know i typically go out all right you know this is no secret i've been saying this for years Uh, i don't pay for the pay-per-view usually because i find that i spend less money if i go out to a local establishment than i do on the pay-per-view if i sit at home and watch it by myself and i love running into the random people out who have random comments or questions or whatever because it's it's entertaining you know i'm there to have a good time right but i get there at 8 p.m and I plant myself at a stool in the bar, and I am there for four or five hours because it's an event. Yeah. And I'm not missing that event. And I think that's where UFC or most MMA organizations have it over boxing because boxing is all about who's on the top of the card. And the UFC says, we got a great thing to look forward to, but if you miss the rest of the card, you might miss some crazy stuff. Yeah. And to your point, um, you know, it's not just the whole card. It's every other weekend. Like, it seems like every two or three weeks, there's a pay-per-view for the UFC. Definitely once a month. Yeah. And then you have yep. your fight nights that are on ESPN. Um, and and yep. they're they're constantly putting the best two fighters together. They're not waiting. 
you know, we're we're excited. Well, I shouldn't say we're excited. The biggest fight coming up for this year is a retired Floyd Mayweather versus some YouTube guy, and and that'll make a lot of money. But I'm just looking at him saying, is that good for the sport? Whereas we just came off a just. I'm I'm not like I'm not um, exaggerating when I say after that Oliveira Chandler fight. I couldn't go to sleep. You're talking midnight, 12.30, 1 o'clock. I couldn't fall asleep. I got two little kids, man. Falling asleep is like part of my job. And I couldn't fall asleep because I was so like just jacked up after seeing that. And I'm just like, man, this, this boxing is like a dying sport because you have to wait six months a year to see something that's just worth watching. It's just whereas the UFC is constantly and, and, and we talked about this last week also. That UFC and Dana White brought us to some that were, was the first sporting event to really bring us to some normalcy. They were the first ones to put an event on a live event, you know, that That's people could watch. Yeah, go ahead with that. Yeah, I just want to bring that. that I'm so glad you brought that up because this is something that I was so I I had the the honor and the torture of being on the air six days a week during the pandemic. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was telling people sports talk with no sports, right? Oh. I kept telling people sports are coming back because this is a billion dollar industry, right? They're not going to have sports. It's ridiculous. Dana was so intent on being the first and proving that he could be the first, not just because his ego is huge, but because he said, these fighters are not getting paid without fighting. So he knew that if he was going to take care of his fighters and take care of his employees and take care of everyone who was involved, he had to make this work. And when he went to Jacksonville and they put those couple first fights on, the whole sports world watched because they wanted to know, is there going to be a COVID spread? Can you How do you, this? Yeah. Can, wait, can you do this? And Dana proved it. And then every sports organization looked at the UFC and says, how can we adapt that? And then Dana took a step further. He went to Abu Dhabi to this fake fight island, which was incredible marketing ploy. It really wasn't a fight island. It just was a, a corner of Abu Dhabi that nobody was using, pretty much. Brilliant. And he, he said, I'm going to establish a bubble. And everyone's like, ooh, a bubble? What is this bubble thing you're going to do? So, And then when he came back this year and said, I'm going to be the first sellout of a sporting event since the pandemic hit. And you know what? It was supposed to be a super spreader event, quote unquote. It wasn't. Nothing. You know why? Because Florida has COVID sniffing dogs. And these COVID sniffing dogs have more accuracy than the saliva tests. How about that? So they literally had a COVID free building of 15,000 people shoulder to shoulder screaming their head off back in April. And they proved that you can have sporting events yeah. in a pandemic with COVID, with all these problems, if you do it the right way. And Dana does not get enough credit for being the one guy who said, I have to do this because if I don't, we will die. Yeah, I have a ton, a ton of respect and frankly, admiration for Dana White because number one, he doesn't care what anybody thinks. He's going to do what he thinks is best for his organization and for his fighters, mainly for his organization. And number two, maybe more importantly, he's willing to take risks. They're measured risks they're not wild hair risks they're measured risks but they are right. risks if you're going to be the first to do something like that to go against the grain uh you better be ready to take first arrows and he took them gladly 
brushed them right off and moved forward. And frankly, whether it be the NBA, Major League Baseball, all the way down to the NFL, they all fell in line and, and followed Dana White's lead, which is, to me, absolutely amazing. Absolutely and amazing. Really, and really quick, I just want to add this in. I know Dana White gets a bad rap, but I've met Dana multiple times. Depends on who you're talking to. It, depend, it really does depend on who you're talking to. It does. But the problem is the people who don't like Dana, it's because he doesn't lick their boots. Okay? He doesn't need them. Yeah, he doesn't need that. the regular media. Dana does so much for people that never gets talked about. All the money he gives to charity. All the fighters who he pays for their medical bills when he doesn't have to. All the times he takes care of people. And he doesn't have to do these things. There are so many stories out there about Dana White doing good that never gets publicized because he doesn't want the attention. Yeah. So he lets the world think that he's the villain. But secretly... He's kind of an anti-hero. Josh, I got one question for you before we let you go. We really appreciate you being on today. This has been an absolutely yes, awesome sir. conversation. Um, in this past event that we were just talking about, Tony Ferguson, who is just an electric fighter, electric personality, lost third straight loss for him. Uh, we, you know, um, who am I thinking of? Uh, McGregor has lost like three out of his last four fights. If you consider the Mayweather fight a loss, I do. You have to at least in in, some, in the sense of what I'm talking about here. You have to. My question here is: Who is the face of the UFC right now, and 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 what's it going to look like moving forward? Well, I think the face of the UFC starts with heavyweights because heavyweights still sell tickets, and. Now that it's no longer Stipe Miocic and it's Francis Ngannou, that's a good thing for the UFC. No offense to Stipe. I love him as a human being. He's a wonderful dude. He's a great family man. But he didn't want to do a lot of media. He wasn't a very marketable guy. Francis Ngannou is. Francis Ngannou is the UFC version of Mike Tyson. Yes. All right? Except without the craziness in his head. Right. Okay? You know, Ngannou is marketable. Um, Kamaru Usman at welterweight is marketable. Um depending on what happens between Peter Yan and Algerman Sterling in a couple months, whoever wins that fight, they're both marketable guys. The problem for the UFC is that they've had to go through so many morphs, so many evolutions, because when they were first starting, they were their whole thing was, we're going to promote people. Then it became, people became larger than life. You know, your John Jones, your Conor McGregor, your Ronda Rousey, and they're all pretty much been passed by the wayside. So now it's on the UFC to get back to the old model. We're just going to promote everybody. And that's what they're doing. They're saying, if you got a belt, we're going to promote you. Yeah. And what? People still want to buy Conor McGregor versus Poitier. There's reports that they're worried that the McGregor-Poitier three fight is going to cause a outage in pay-per-view buys. Because if you remember, the first Abu Dhabi event, they were shut down in part of the world right. for about an hour. So they're trying to prepare right now for McGregor and Poitier to break like streaming records. And he's not even the champ. Right. This last fight set records for a fight card with a non-champ in the main event. That tells you that they're doing something right. So to me, the face of the UFC is whoever has that gold. And I think that's the right way to do things because at the end of the day, What's the point of promoting some dude who can't even win, right? Yeah. 
I agree with you. I think the UFC is as healthy a, a sporting organization as there is. And to your point, I think what makes them so great is who they promote is winners. Whoever's winning, you get, you're at the top of the list. And you're the one that's fighting. You're the one that gets seen. And what do people like more than anything other than 50-year-old men winning golf tournaments? They <laughs> like winners. I mean, we love winners, man. We don't follow losers. We follow winners. And we absolutely... You know, I, I think the UFC is is in a great position. Josh, I have to thank you so much for joining us today. This was awesome. Um, you know, hopefully we can do this again again with you in the future, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate Absolutely. it, man. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All right, we'll see you again. All right, guys, take you too. That was Josh Hennig of 97.3 ESPN Radio down here in South Jersey. So we often have uh, Mike Cohen on here with us, and I always call him like the voice of reason with our crazy. I like having Josh on because Josh, I don't know, we, we, it was like a wrestling match to see who has more energy. I just love talking with people who are loaded with energy. Excellent. He was Excellent. awesome. And, uh, boy, if you're looking for someone who knows Philly wow, sports, well goodness gracious. I think he knows the dog's name of the GM for the Eagles. I felt, I, I, felt, I felt a little, like, incompetent with some, some of the players that he oh, was bringing up. Well so. done. It was awesome. great, and uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully he'll join us again uh, in the future with um, as a guest on here. Hey, let's finish up uh, AFC East because I know we're keeping you from your Knicks game. Although well, it's you, not going great you early, can't, you, you can't feel too excited. <laughs> hey, listen, to, you know, to, to give you some credit or give the Knicks some credit, no one, no one expected them to be in this position this year. So to even be here uh, with Randall, R.J. Barrett, listen. You got to be thrilled that they're in a playoff game right now. Yeah, it's almost like got, twenty got, years of futility. So, and they, and they got the first round home court, which is nice. But yeah. they are definitely not the same team that we watched all year. They're losing listen, right now. It's a different. It's a different atmosphere. Yeah, they're losing right now. But just about to go to the second quarter. Well, listen, it's a different animal. It, it is the the first game that Randall played horrible, and they lost by a game winner with point nine seconds. You know what they need to do, but, dude? They need to find a way to keep Randall, but you need to bring in a bigger star. He, he's a number two. He's a nice number two you. or a really good number three. Like if R.J. Barrett Barry, becomes a two, that, that – And Barrett – like Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, no, no. I'm sorry. Like Randall, Barrett, quickly, but you need a stud. You need like a Donovan Mitchell or like someone like – like someone. Yeah, and it's New York. You should uh, – if, you're even, a, if yeah. you're even a moderately decent team, you should be able oh, to people, draw somebody in, yeah. right? You should be so able to draw somebody in. Like they were so unattractive for 20 years, man. That's why it's like – It's yeah, tough to flip the switch, but I think – yeah. I just don't know if Thibodeau is the coach for the long haul because he just eventually rubs everybody you, thin. And and then I think he wears these guys out. Too. That's, That's what I'm saying. Like, problem. with the style yeah, of play, man. it's just hard. Oh, in this in this current era of basketball where nobody plays defense, he preaches defense to the nth degree. And it's just it's just hard. And not only that. Hard. All these but he deserves a lot off, of credit. These guys, these guys want to rest, and he doesn't want to rest anyway. Yeah, he, wants, he, he, you know, he deserves think, a lot of credit because everybody put him in his coffin, and here he is, you know, yeah, what, what, yeah. What, what are they, four seed? Yes, sir. So he deserves a lot of credit. All right, New York Jets, very active offseason, you got to say. But I would say restrained in their activism. They didn't just do – you know, we've talked about the Jets a lot, so I don't, we don't have to go crazy with it. But I like what they did. They spent money, but they spent wisely, and they spent on in areas of need. And I feel like they got deals. Like they, it was, it was money wisely spent. Uh, the biggest names were Corey Davis and Carl Lawson – filling two huge needs. They also got another dude, Keelan Cole. The two receivers that they did sign, everywhere I look, when you look at people evaluating Jets offseason, was like you're getting players on the upside. They're not 
already stars. They're guys that look like could be stars. And you got them right. at decent prices. So, um, And then obviously with their draft, Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore, Vera Tucker, Michael Carter. I mean, there's just a lot to be excited about if you're a Jets you fan. Could, but we've talked even, about this before a million times. Patience. Patience. Yeah. And you can even throw Denzel Mims there, too. He only For second sure. Year. He missed half the year last year, so he's a young guy. That no, but the, all too. their draft from last year, you can look and say, dude, none of those guys had OTAs. None of those guys yeah. had an offseason. Most of them were injured and didn't even get to start the season uh, healthy. You know, you got to think that coming into the season, it's going to be better just from for those guys because they actually will be able to practice in the offseason, you know? So yeah. as a Jets fan, yeah. you should be excited, but you should be guarded. Um, they're very, 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 very young. And I don't even just mean the players. You have a rookie head coach. You have a first-time play caller in your offensive coordinator. You have a rookie quarterback that's probably going to start, which is if, if, if there's any kind of complaint I have right now, and I, yeah. I really don't have any uh, other than this. I wish they would bring – I still wish – I don't care who it is. I wish they would bring in a veteran quarterback to start the first six to eight games you of know, the season. You know what name that, that, that came up? Because we brought this up last week about the Jets with uh, Hoyer going back to the Patriots. How would you feel about Gardner Minshew? I'd have no problem with that. I would love that. I would yeah. love that. Also because he's a personality and he would take he, – he would probably end up stealing a couple extra starts just on personality. Just on because people like him and his mullet and all the nonsense with the short shorts and his cock and balls like yeah. hanging out the bottom of his shorts. Whatever he's got <laughs> going on, like all his nuttiness would probably buy him another game or two, which I want Zach Wilson on the bench for most of the season. So – um, yeah, I don't have much to add to that. New coaching staff. The defense is a little weak. I think they. I think they're going to start slow, obviously for many reasons. But I think if you show improvement with the back half, Thanksgiving on, now you got something to build on to next year. You start cooking a little bit. Yeah. You know? Here's your schedule to start the season at Carolina, which is fascinating. Of course, we mentioned Sam Darnold is there. I'm not going to lie. I would love to see them win that game, even if they end up losing the next four, which is very possible. Because then they go, they got at, they're home against New England at Denver, which is they just the Jets in my yeah, they lifetime they do not go west well. They do not didn't go the Broncos, west well. Did the Broncos kill Altoon's career in Denver a long time ago? I don't know, but they just I remember the Jets winning like three games in a row. This is going back maybe to when Fitzpatrick was there. They win like three games in a row, and they're like, oh, they're rolling. They go out west to play a one-win Raiders team and get smoked by the Raiders, and you're like, how the hell do you win three games against winning teams and then lose to a one-win, te- one you know, a terrible Raiders team? But they don't, they don't travel west well. Um, and then they got Tennessee, who I have major question marks about, but they have a great running back, and they have a very good uh, – quarterback and they have a good head coach i expect them to lose that game yeah. and then they go at atlanta where i think atlanta's a bad team but they still have a better core an excellent quarterback and they're on the road i don't expect them to go win that game so i could really we, we looked at their whole schedule or i we talked off air about their whole schedule and i see parts of the season where i think they could go three and two in certain parts and and, and do yes. pretty well I think it's a really tough start to the season for the Jets, man, yeah. and I can really see them you know being 1-4, 0-5. Oh well, week six by week sucks too, man. That's it's an early, early. Especially another week of the season, that's really it's early. early. So it, it does concern me. Um, 
So you know, but so the 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 whole thing with the Jets. If you're a Jets fan, you you, you need patience. And what you what you really want to see is you want to see them pull off some upsets. You want to see them beat the Patriots once. You want to see them beat Miami sure. once. You want to see them beat Buffalo once. You want to see like you're not going to do all three of those, but you'd like to see no. some upsets. You don't want to see them just beat teams that they should beat. Like but which I don't know who that is, but. Even if you beat the Titans or beat the Bengals, like yeah. just show something. Like show there. There needs to be a handful of games, two, three games this year, where you either beat someone you're not supposed to, or you take. You know, Carolina did this a couple times last year, where they lost games to teams that they probably should. They were underdogs too, but they took them right down to the wire. Like it was a tough game. You yeah. know, they made a game of it, and you didn't know what was going to happen. And you know, that was that. So. That's my feeling on a jet. So you want to put them in some kind of order here? I would. I would love to. Uh, you, want to go, you want me to go fourth place? Who's to first your fourth place, place or, team? Uh, yeah. My fourth place team is unfortunately your New York Jets. I'm with six you on and that. Eleven. I would take six wins. I gotta be honest with you. If they come up with six wins, I, I'd be kind of okay with that. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I would prefer seven, which would beat the uh, yeah. Vegas over and under. But I would take six. My third place team is the Miami Dolphins at seven and ten. I don't like to say this, but I agree with you on this one too. I don't know if seven and yeah. ten, I can see nine and eight. I think they're a much more complete team, and I don't personally think Tua is as bad as as a lot of people out there say. Plus, he's going to have significantly more weapons this year. He's going to have. He's also going to have an entire off season with his staff and his players, and I can see them being a little better than seven and ten. But I do still put them in third. My second place team is the New England Patriots at eight and nine. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I don't love this division, as you can tell. So I'm with you on that. As far as like, I see them second or third with as Miami. Second, like yeah. I see them too, like right then, right there. I can see them being nine and eight. Also, ten and seven. Is ten and seven a good record? I don't. I think I don't it's know. gotta be. Is that a good record? I think it's. Isn't that the old nine and seven, which we looked at as like meh. Well, but could it be the old ten and six? Like we, I, or like you don't know. Like it's, yeah, it's. We just don't know. You, I could see the, them being the ten and year. seven because you know you're gonna play the Jets twice. You got New Orleans. You got Houston on the schedule. I could see them winning ten games for sure. And the first place team we both have is the Buffalo Bills, and I have them at eleven and six. I got the Buffalo Bills in first place too, and I would put them more like twelve and five. I actually think I th- I thought Buffalo was. It was really good this, last year. I think adding Emmanuel Sanders, uh, an experienced pro who's been on playoff, been part of playoff runs before. You know, I think it's a relatively soft division. I could see them winning twelve. I could even see them being honest with you. I could see them winning thirteen games. Yeah, they were thirteen and three last year. Though this should be at the thirteen and four. Yeah. So, but I, yeah, I mean, listen, if you're I'm like, Buffalo, you're rooting for Justin Herbert to take another step, and for I almost said San Diego again, for Chargers to take another step and challenge Kansas City because I think, I think Buffalo versus Kansas City in Buffalo is a different game than Buffalo versus Kansas City in Kansas City. I think both of those stadiums. Yeah. Oh, I think both of those teams yeah. have a really significant home field advantage, and whoever gets it. Has a has just a monster advantage. I really do. I really do. Right. I agree. So, all right, my man. That's number eighteen in the books. And I did my research I mean, this week. I don't know if you did. Uh, this is gonna be this, this is gonna be an easy one for you, right? Peyton Manning, right? 
that's it. Okay. Know, start to finish it. I, yeah, I did my research. Yeah. I said, dude, we can't keep like wondering who these numbers are. So, so I did my research in Peyton Manning. There's a couple other ones that are pretty interesting 18s. I forget who the hell they are because once you get to Peyton Manning, who the hell else oh. is there, right? Right, exactly. When it showed up, it was like Peyton Manning in his Denver uniform. I'm like, look at this mother. <laughs> oh, so. But yeah, I, listen. This was a good. This was a great, uh, a, a great podcast for us. Josh joining us was just huge. I love his energy. I, yeah, lo- I love great. ESPN. So it's all good. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we got 18 in the books. So another good awesome, one. Bro. I'm Pete Calisano for my friend Scott Bracey. You've been listening to Bump and Run. We'll catch you guys next week. Later.